HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini-series on global trade. Vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties. There was a time where black pepper was a luxury. And we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the Spice Islands in order to get uh, pepper. <laughs> you know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the show, Beatrice Ajero, right? That's your last name? Yes, it you is. say that right. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm thrilled to have you on. We are recording. We don't know when this will go live, but we are, we are pre-recording. It's still 2020, so mm-hmm. wrapping up what has been um, an incredibly tenuous year for a lot, of, a lot of people, and especially for people in the food industry. And so, one, I'm grateful to have your time, um, one, during the holidays, and then also for a time <laughs> that I'm sure has been incredibly... Um, challenging and we'll go into that but wanted to start off with telling having you tell us a little bit about your your personal story so how did you you're Nigerian American um how did your family end up here in the U.S. and then sort of your earliest memories of of food or your interest in food how that came to be sure well thank you for having me I'm really excited to um get a chance to share on your platform uh I've had a chance to listen to a lot of my my colleagues in this space uh, around the state and and abroad. So um, I'm super excited to, to share. Um, so I've known that I've wanted to be associated with food in some way for for many years, since I was much younger, actually, around 10, 11, and 12. My parents came to the U.S. as college students in the 80s, and um, uh, I think I've learned a lot about how they have... Um, you know, try to find the, the the comparable ingredients for traditional cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, 
growing up, okra and spinach were things that we knew we could always find in every grocery store. And uh, tomatoes and red pepper always lent itself to red stew. So those are two items that I think have were mainstays in my sort of childhood um, for myself where, and my where, siblings. Where, what, yeah. city, what city were you in? Sure. Uh, this is New York City. So I was born okay. in New York City and I grew up on Roosevelt Island. And um, uh, we are in proximity to Queens, which is, um, you know, the most diverse corner in the world. And so mm-hmm. I think um, the grocery stores there and in our neighborhood, uh, Roosevelt Island is an, an experimental community. So we have one grocery store, one cleaners. and um, But still within that, uh, we're able to find okra and spinach um, uh, growing up and find tomatoes. So I think that has... Um, had an influence on me. Um, wherever I've been as a young person in school, I've always known that I could at least find those items and make some iteration of, of an okra and spinach or uh, a, a stew and then um, use whatever starch, if it's oatmeal, if it's if it's pounded yam or if it's gary to, to be the companion for that. So, um, But that, I think, is one of the things that's um, really shaped the way I think about food and food traditions. And um, my interest in food started off uh, around baking, actually. I mm. um, I did a lot of baking when I was younger and like a lot of pastry making classes. But um, I think that my family wanted me to have a lot of skills across a lot of different um, subject matters before entering into to the culinary world, and so that's what they pushed me to do. Um, and so I went to um, a school called Bard College in the Hudson Valley for my undergraduate degree in human rights, and I went to uh, the University of Buffalo's law school to study finance and transactions, and I saw, um, I think I saw the importance in uh, an MBA or sustainability-minded MBA to uh, help contextualize a lot of the things that I saw uh, in the legal realm. And so I went to uh, back to Bard, uh, which uh, uh, had, a, had a young program that was based in New York City for my MBA in sustainability. And um, around the same time, I completed a double master's in special and general education. So, oh my goodness, wow. Um, you, you definitely, I'm sure your Nigerian parents must be very proud. <laughs> so, um, so, so, you yeah. Ticked, you ticked all those boxes so that <laughs> there are no questions around. That's, that's, that's great. So, um, sure. um, I think, so have you, I guess one of the questions I was pondering as I was thinking about your story is a lot of it seems to be born of your experiences in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Did, did you have you traveled have you gone back home have you traveled mm-hmm. you know on the continent so I just wanted to get a little bit more context in terms of like practically like you know outside mm-hmm. of your education and your family if you've had some time if you spent mm-hmm. some time on the continent and how that is, has informed even your ideas around sustainability and getting that MBA for example sure yeah so uh as an undergrad um I studied with human rights and Africana studies so I I I was really open to um I, as an undergrad, it's more about more literature and anthropology, but I had a chance to study abroad in Johannesburg. So I spent um, 
three or four months um, actively in Joburg as a student there and um, always keen to, to learn about food traditions in KwaZulu-Natal, um, or the many other cultural groups that are present there. I spent a lot of time with Zimbabweans there, so uh, Shona speaking, Debele yeah. speaking, um, friends there. I got to learn about PAP, which is the corn <laughs> yeah. version, right, of yeah, uh, fufu. I I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast quite a bit, you know I lived in Joburg for two years. Yes, so. yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, so that takes, when I hear PAP, that takes me back to, <laughs> oh, yeah. to, to Bryce and having PAP oh, yes. and Chakalaka and all that good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a great... Um, I had been to Nigeria um, in my first year of school to to see my family and to visit my relatives and and there just um, keeping an eye on the market. Um, in the short period of time I was there, I learned so much about um, uh, the access to greens or how protein enters food and how uh, my my relatives were living in Portaka, which is a port city in Nigeria. So mm-hmm. um, that also influenced you know um, how they cooked. So it was a great experience for me, but I, I think um, after South Africa, I did. I was doing a research project that took me to Nigeria, and uh, Ogoja, which is close to the Cameroonian border, uh, Cross River State, and it was there that I saw um, uh, a lot of sort of veteran farmers, a lot of yam, just really lush um, vegetation that's in Ogoja. Um, again, learning about. Um, cuisine in the Cross River State area, which um, Eddie Kaika is one of the I- items on our menu, which is considered a very Kalaba Cross Rivers um, a soup. And that was one of the things that I got to sort of see firsthand from, from family friends. Um, and after that trip to Nigeria, I had a chance to see Senegal, Mauritania, and Morocco. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I studied Arabic in Mauritania, so um, that was really interesting because I was <clears throat> I was living with a Pula family, so I got to see a lot of the Fula traditions around mm. communal eating, around mm. Mishui, around um, the way a lot of, I think, more citrus items come into... Uh, meals, the use of mortar and pestle for like a lot of aromatic things was really impressive to me. Um, and then at the same time, um, the Hassaniya traditions, big communal eating. Um, so that was great. And of course, um, I've had a lot of uh, family friends uh, on Rosewood Island from Senegal um, who really basically sent me to you know stay with their families as I wanted to see their mm-hmm. home countries. Um, but then, you know, the yasa, the chevujan, and all the, the mafe, all those great soups, um, too, I got to see firsthand um, when I was between Senegal and the Gambia. But specifically, I think when I started to really pay attention to how um, sourcing and supply chain and sustainability intersect was when I uh, was in the Gambia. Um, and the Gambia is a really small, uh, delightful country, um, coastal from um, end to end, and I, I ran bakeries and restaurants there between um, my, my second and third year of law school, and um, there was a question around, amongst my team about millet, dugum, mm-hmm. versus um, the wheat that was imported from Turkey, and so there was a preference for a whole wheat, um, to make whole wheat, you know, bakery products, and we had a, a you know, a sizable 
um, section of our market that was interested in in other kinds of grains because of uh, the, the glycemic index. Right. Um, but it wasn't sizable enough, I think, for us to think that millet could be what we use for all of the bread products. And so um, I thought a lot about how millet could come from the other side of the water and be um, a more sustainable grain that we could use and bake with. I noticed that um, when I spent time with the Tapalapa factories, which are uh, mostly run by Pular families. That's basically the brick oven bread, mm. uh, big brick oven baguettes that mm. are made in Guinea and, and Gambia. Um, all of the many steps in their supply chain to even source, uh, you know, the firewood um, from from Senegal to bring it in and then to source the grain um, and and at volume because they you know right. once they light that oven it has to really you know turn out a lot of bread and so. Uh, when I came back to um, the U.S. and really thought about um, the sustainability MBA, uh, I, I thought a lot about my experiences in the Gambia and how I could learn about different ways of, of, of thinking about sourcing and supply chain and access that I think most closely tied to what I saw in the Gambia and all that I learned from, from bakers and friends and my team there. So um, that, that trip, I think, was really impactful. Um, and uh, um, still sort of shapes what I do now. Wow, that's that's mm. really cool, and that's so wonderful. Mm. My God, <laughs> so like a really <laughs> wonderful experience, and you're sort of crisscrossing all over the continent. I lived in the Gambia too, and so it's funny, I, yeah. in Banjul, mm. I lived for, mm. for a year, and I remember, oh, wow. yeah, how small it was, and... Um, mm even just finding things to do to do in Gambia. Mm-hmm. But then also, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the experience for you, but I also found mm-hmm. um, a lot of the, at least the hospitality scene was, um, or I should say mainstream hospitality scene, however you mm-hmm. want to describe that, was sort of mm-hmm. focused or catered towards the big European. And again, that was their sort of bread and butter in terms of tourism from Europe. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the experiences around food and all of that was catered towards um, that audience, at least in my experience. But that's but that's yeah. awesome. You had a great experience sure. there. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that... Um I, I think uh, Gambia, much like Senegal, Mauritania, very family-oriented around food. Mm. So um, at 2 o'clock is when Chevrolet starts rolling yeah. out, right? <laughs> so a lot of my guys, you know, 2 o'clock, everything stops, and rice starts coming in from um, from all their family and relatives or their, you know, our neighbors. And so I, I remarked to one of um, uh, a customer recently, a lot of, um, neighbors in the story area like to bring their own containers sometimes for their sustainability position uh, for for taking food and I welcome that as a way mm-hmm. to connect with what we see a lot at home and I remember in the Gambia and I think elsewhere in Africa every time you see someone carrying some kind of uh, kwangolo canteen wrapped in a fabric yeah. that's uh, you know so endearing um, and, um, you know, really a sign that uh, your family is thinking about you. So certainly as someone coming in looking for, you know, I guess food on the move, if you compare it to Ghana or Nigeria where uh, Mama Put is everywhere, um, certainly uh, in the Gambia it wasn't um, uh, um, as accessible, I think because of this, you know, heavy uh, emphasis on family. Um, but, um, but yeah, in Benjul too, there were some... 
there's some uh, nice Lebanese restaurants uh, that I found that I was able to, you know, know that they'd have the shawarmas and the right. fatouche and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, but I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I hear you. Um, okay, so now let's let's transition to then. So you you know you had all those great experiences, then you came back and what what was the sort of um, impetus, I guess, for starting your rest your restaurant, Meiji, Meiji, right? Same yeah, um, yeah. We um, I think we've always wanted to bring. West African food to our neighbors, my family and I. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had to venture into Harlem, which was sort of just like a mark for our week every Sunday to go and see and connect with the community there, yeah. like Petit Senegal on 116th mm-hmm. Street. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, places like Accra Restaurant um, would cater most of our naming ceremonies or our um, some of our private events as we started out early on. So... We developed, you know, f- friends that go back decades um, that are based in Harlem. And so um, it was always a treat for us. And we've always thought about ways of bringing more of those food traditions closer to to home. And home mm-hmm. for us is Roosevelt Island. And so uh, when we, uh, you know, we were initially an, an, uh, an art gallery on Roosevelt Island and evolved into, uh, uh, you know, an annual vendor at the, the Saturday market. Uh, where we we felt like we had an opportunity to get close to community, um, but we did so with more like nostalgia items like the nido and the peak and the milos of of uh, of the pantry, the corned beef and the tight and sardines. So we thought that that would be a good way, at least for families who cooked. Or um, and a lot of our neighbors were posted here either by their governments or. Uh, for the their diplomatic corps, and so we felt like these were items that also connected um, many other uh, you know cultures and and people of other countries. So we began very early on with um, with those um, non-perishable uh, specialty items. But when we moved into our first brick and mortar in Astoria as a gift shop, uh, a lot of customers who came in asked us where the quote unquote real food was. <laughs> so we were surprised. We said. You know, we have sardines, we have nido, we have uh, malt, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so uh, we were really pleasantly surprised. Um, uh, we brought in a lot of sort of um, textile and, mm-hmm. and art and home decor on the Africa side. And then um, had, um, I guess we, we saw that there were so many items that cut across many different cultures. So we did oil, spices and grains because we felt like it was things that many people could connect with. Um, but there was this big push around hot food as a way to really access and understand uh, West Africa and its and its traditions. And so, um, with the support from our gift shop uh, and uh, the area, we sought out to bring um, uh, you know the hot food offerings that we now have at Niji to to Astoria. And um, we thought that it would be a good home because Astoria is you know, considered the most diverse corner of the world and. We knew that food wasn't necessarily new or food traditions weren't necessarily new to Astoria, but we'd have a chance to, to contribute and to join the uh, existing efforts to preserve heritage, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is one of the pieces that uh, the name Neji speaks to um, by, by, by situating ourselves in, in Astoria. 
Well, tell us, tell us what does Nigerian, what does Nigerian mean when you translate it? What what language is it? What Nigerian language is it? Sure. So uh, Nigeria has uh, 550 languages and uh, 800 <laughs> language groups. Yeah. Right. And uh, when we get into dialects, we may be yeah. into the thousands. So it's one of the things I think I'm, I'm most proud about um, that Nigeria offers. And uh, my family speaks Igbo, which is just one of the many 800 mm -hmm. languages of the southeast region and um, in Igbo, you know, as a language there are many dialects, but if you um, transliterate uh, Igbo, which it can't really be translated, but if you transliterate it, name means mother and J means to hold on to. So, um, you know, so I translated as, or transliterated as, may I never be disconnected from my maternal lineage. Oh, um, wow. uh, yeah, or uh, may I never forget where I come from. So, um, because uh, many of our um, neighbors near our gift shop or Greek businesses and Italian businesses that uh, Sicilian bakeries that really uh, were a big part for us in um, learning about the heritage preservation, um, I think that, that defines the story to, to a great you know, um, degree, um, we really moved to, to, to try to join that um, effort. And so... When we're in a story, we think about all of the time and energy that's been placed in preserving heritage for decades, which I think is one of the reasons that so many people of all different backgrounds have, um, you know, you know, sought to call it home. Wow, yeah. that's so powerful, and I'm sure <laughs> your 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 mom must be so proud of you. Um, yeah. Um, so let's talk about what what's on the menu, the fun stuff. What's on the menu? <laughs> what do you have at Nature? And then maybe yeah. just quickly. Yeah, mm -hmm. just tell us what's on the menu. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, so we have uh, we've started off with a lot of, uh, with four core vegan offerings that most of which we stayed with. One is yasa, uh, the other is uh, uh, red stew, uh, agusi soup, and okra. Um, and uh, more currently, we have uh, we try to always have okra, okra and spinach, mm. agusi, and uh, yasa as vegan offerings. And um, we have uh, red stew with beef and. It's bacalao, cow foot, cow skin, and, and that soup, and that stew. And we have a spicy goat stew that is uh, um, sort of in the Igbo tradition of nguangguo, which is like, um, I call it more of a party uh, item yeah. that can be made with right, goat head or escargot oh, wow. or a cow skin. But we've done it with the goat stew, and so it also allows us to put a lot more heat in, uh, in one of the dishes as everything... The pepper is more sort of for balance, mm -hmm. but here we really try to make it the hottest thing on the menu, so <laughs> uh, so friends can can find that. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we pair with uh, two grains, which is Gary and Fonio. Um, oh, nice. So nice. yeah, it is also allowed us to be more uh, regional than country specific, which is what we hold ourselves yeah, out to be. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you <laughs> next in terms of like just because I heard yasa, I was like, I don't mm -hmm. think that yasa is necessarily Nigerian. And so, are you trying to be more West African versus Nigerian? Well, is you know, short answer would be yes. I think that uh, there's a dish in uh, in northern Nigeria that is like yasa uh, because that's also where a lot of onions grow. Mm. Um, so. You know, in addition to, to being regional, we've also tried to... We have a forira, we have a dikaika, which are Yoruba dishes or Kalaba dishes. Um, but we have also tried... And okra spinach is soup kanja, Senegambia, Senegal and Gambia, 
or gumbo right yeah. in new orleans <laughs> so we've all we've tried to be both regional both diasporic and then also try to showcase some of the uh the great dishes of of, of different parts of nigeria and, and that region so um so yeah and we're still looking to add um some more favorites so yeah, one of the things I noticed as I was looking up or reading what you offered was that you also do, and I think this is a mm-hmm. function of like where you're located, I guess, that you mm-hmm. also offer Greek and Italian pastries. Mm-hmm. And sure. I wanted to get the story, what the story is behind. I, I'm guessing it's a function of your location. but Yeah, well, we, um, you know, we grew uh, on Roosevelt Island, um, in great part due to the support of a, a Sicilian bakery called Rose and Joe's, which has been around since the 1970s. Um, and so I think we became really known for the ciabattas and the panellas and the baguette, which, like, you know, the tapalapa um, mm-hmm. experience that I had in the Gambia really pushed me to see the importance of bread as also very universal. Um, so we can really bring, um, you know, uh, bring the world home, as we like to say in Ibarri, but... Uh, that's one of the things that we knew, you know, you could use with any dish, right? You could dip, you could, you know, use with soups and stews. And so it's allowed us to really, I think, connect to our neighbors, many of which are from, you know, as far as the Pacific Islands or Eastern Europe. And so when we pushed into bread, um, oil was one of those other categories that we yeah. felt like, right, for us, palm oil is gold. You know, I tell everyone it's liquid gold. <laughs> but I know that uh, olive oil is the palm oil of the Mediterranean. Right. And so we started to source um, olive oil from Crete and from Morocco and from different countries. Um, again, things that uh, so many people can connect with, either just for medicinal reasons or for for cooking. And so when we uh, were situated at Neji, we wanted a chance to continue the celebration of the shared food traditions of between the Mediterranean and West Africa um, and beyond. And so with... Uh, uh, pastries were able to do that. So, kunefa is a uh, shredded filo dough in Egypt and a kataifi in Greece. Uh, for Ethiopian cuisine, uh, baklava is one of the choice uh, desserts. And so, it's also allowed us to sort of give a nod to Eastern Africa in that way and Northern Africa in that way as we try to uh, acknowledge all the different regions of African food traditions and, and the Mediterranean. But but yeah, we we strongly believe that um, acknowledging the um, all of the communities that have really anchored Astoria um, as we bring um, you know our own food tradition is um, it just I think it's just a um, a sign of being a good neighbor for us, mm-hmm. and um, we're grateful for the partnerships, the strong partnerships that we've developed with a lot of our Greek uh, distributors and our. Sicilian bakeries uh, are partners, so that's why you see the baklava and the biscotti uh, there. Yeah, that's so interesting, mm-hmm. and I never would have thought about that connection between the Mediterranean and um, Northern Africa, Eastern Africa even. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, yeah. Okay, so I think this is a good time to take a quick break, mm-hmm. and then when we come back from the break, we'll talk about sort of your process for opening the restaurant. I don't think we even touched on it yet, but <laughs> you opened this restaurant in 2020 when a lot of restaurants are closing down. Sure. So I think it would be interesting to hear um, what that's been like, your lessons learned and how things have been going. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll jump back right in.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So back from the break, um, fascinating background. Like I think when um, I first read your story, I didn't, I, one, I didn't know all about, you know, your travels all over the continent and the connection to what you did with um, your MBA in sustainability. And that's all really cool. And I like the fact that you have that at the back of your mind, you know, as you one opening and building this restaurant. And I think even going forward post in a post-COVID world, I can see how the work you're doing is going to be really important as you start to probably hopefully connect with other African food businesses and how we think about um, the way we bring our traditions into um, Western, you know, the Western communities that we live in and the lessons that we can also, because I think in terms of my conversations with people, it's it's sometimes challenging because I hear people trying to, you know, fit into what they think people want. But I think that there's a lot that we can also bring to the table mm-hmm. just in terms of what you learned, you know, when you were mm-hmm. in, in, in Gambia, for example, around... Mm-hmm. Um, sourcing and you know even trends that mm-hmm. today are becoming you know you know cool or trendy or whatever in mm-hmm. terms of sustainability even the examples you gave of canteens being tied in mm-hmm. fabrics and whatnot like we've mm-hmm. always had some of these traditions and so thinking about how we bring those back to what is essentially home to us but you know mm-hmm. it's becoming more mainstream here in the west so it's i'm pretty cool i'm glad i learned new stuff about you but now now let's talk about your resilience (laughs) i mean who decides to open a restaurant mid so when did you open when did you open i'm sure you know you were leading up to it before all of this happened but when in 2020 did you open for context yeah, well, we opened officially on June 9th. Um, oh, wow. So the pandemic we were, was already... Full, yeah, it was pretty active, I'd say. But I guess um, we we had decided by March 1, actually, was when we... Uh, that was when be, really the beginning of our lease term. And when we got to the neighborhood, we had come around a couple of times. But when I saw my neighbors boarded up, I thought that... Maybe they were renovating. So I thought it was just a great, great, you know, time. I thought they were renovating. So it was like, you know, but I didn't realize that they were closed indefinitely. Um, Thankfully, many of them are reopened, you know, which has made uh, where we are, you know, just a really delight to 
you know, for, I think, families to walk down. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also meant that the neighborhood was very quiet. So we didn't get the same pulse of who our neighbors really were and who the families were and who we'd meet until we reopened. And then um, when the governor had given us a green light, we really felt like at the phase two mark, we really felt like we had a chance to to share um, the hot food and the groceries and the pastries. So, um, you know, I think that um, the, you know, the universe designed it this way and mm-hmm. um, we are grateful for the support that we've had from the neighbors and, um, you know, our partners from uh, near our gift shop have really helped to anchor us and uh, Roosevelt Island has been a big, big source of uh, support for us on Saturdays. And so... Um, I think uh, as we've come to, to, to learn and to become, you know, to sort of form, you know, kinship ties with, uh, with our community there, um, we are sort of all, we really are all in this together, you know. And so um, from, from our neighbors who are there to, the, you know, the friends who come in and see us, that's how we feel. And um, as uh, we all work in our, you know, different little corners um, sort of to put one foot in front of the other, that's you know, we're doing just the very same. So, uh, and hopeful and hopeful. Yeah. So in terms of just, uh, if I want to take a step back in terms of, um, even trying to attract customers, right? Cause when I think about, you know, longstanding, um, establishments in New York that have had to close down, I'm wondering now for someone that's opening and fairly new, mm-hmm. um, to that community how one how do you get the word out about you know what you what you're doing so that people can support you and then just how like how have you kept going mm-hmm. you know is it has the experience been obviously probably not what you expected but mm-hmm. what are the things that you've done differently than you thought you know how did you pivot i guess is the question yeah. in terms of what you were expecting to do versus what you're doing now sure so we i think uh, um it was helpful that we had an established uh, footprint at our gift shop. So oh, uh, it's a different brand, but about a mile away. So we were at least known to some degree for the art and the home decor there. And then, uh, you know, Roosevelt Island is also sort of a mile in the other direction, which um, allowed for some synergy. But I can tell you that uh, where we are on 34th Avenue at Inneji, um really was the... Um, just the the heart of the those who have 34th Avenue as their thoroughfare to come in from day one and say welcome to the neighborhood mm. we're happy you're here um, you know we're so excited for you we're rooting for you you know wow way to way to go to open in such a tough time you know so much good energy just sort of overwhelmed us in the first few days and first few weeks that uh, was really just a um, really heartwarming and I think that um, you know, one of the things that we've done is really just, you know, continue to listen. And because we're not uh, in a time where maybe we would have seen more of the neighbors. So we have, you know, uh, visitors coming in, customers coming in. We also have a lot of uh, customers, you know, um, reaching out through the online delivery platforms. So really just trying to keep a pulse as to what um, what people put in the notes, what customers put in the notes. Mm-hmm. There was a season where... Uh, a few customers were asking for pounded yam and the notes, 
which we didn't necessarily carry. Mm. And so I was always so puzzled because I said, oh, my goodness, <laughs> we're asking for padded yam. And, you know, and so now we make padded yam, padded yam to order, oh, you know. So that has helped, I think, to really just keep an open ear and to um, to listen and have feedback. And I think um, we've tried to maintain a core vegan items and also a number of proteins. And also in our spice blend, we use protein so that, uh, you know, customers who are looking for vegan choices can still have access to balance, um, you know, in, in our menu. Um, and I think that's, I, I think uh, we really had to just listen. You know, I say we, I'm supported by my family and, and these ventures. And so we just had to listen and iterate and think. Um, but we're grateful also to have a number of write-ups um, early on to tell um, the story of, of, of what we what we hope to bring and I think that's a lot of people who uh, maybe would not have chosen our block as a thoroughfare um, to then think about us and come on over. And we're really, really grateful for the uh, many different outlets that have run, you know, pieces of different sizes on us. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're really grateful for that. Yeah, so just a quick word on that, actually, because for, for a lot of... Um smaller African because when I when I come to New York I, I lived in New York before and so like I have uh, New York as a special place in my heart but when I come back to New York I typically like you would go to Harlem to get mm-hmm. you know like my comfort mm-hmm. African you know food from all over the continent um, mm-hmm. and when I think about some of those businesses and the access that they have to like even media to get the word out there because I think a lot of them are mostly patronized by the community, right? Just by word of mouth mm-hmm. and and just knowing that in Harlem you're gonna get the the best of that food. So outside mm-hmm. of, I mean, the bigger ones like Taranga and Chef Pierre, who mm-hmm. you know have their sort of big uh, press stuff. How did you tap into local press? Just for those that may be listening, that may be trying to do the same. What was like, actually, did you reach out to people? How did that happen for you? Yeah, well, uh, we had, uh, we did have um, support to to think about the different channels that um, are in Queens. Um, um, working with a, a very, very seasoned and, and dedicated PR agent has helped us uh, find different channels to, to share our story. So I think for uh, um, a small venture like ours, uh, we're very, very grateful to have uh, that specialized knowledge in our corner, um, you know, who's, you know, who, who's really sort of, um, you know, carved out to, to focus on that when you're doing so many other things and, um, you know, believe strongly in what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, my mom always told me that uh, the job of an entrepreneur is to be continually excited about your venture. <laughs> and so um, when you can you know, have the support and other wings to, to focus on things like telling your story or, you know, sharing through Instagram, um, it, it helps. Uh, we are built on conversation. So for us, it was a bit, a bit of a pivot, um, uh, I guess particularly for hot food. Um, mm-hmm. We really like to talk and we really like to take mm-hmm. time. And that's what um, I think market is about at home. And so we really try to bring that energy to wherever we are. Um, but... Um, I think in the hot food space, uh, when uh, I guess families or individuals in faraway places get to hear about you um, through different channels, uh, it really means a lot to them. And so we've seen 
families coming from Staten Island or from the Rockaways or from New Jersey and so uh, or upstate New York um just very very touched um by um you know the people who have sought us out to come and to 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 root us on and uh it has meant a lot um so i think that's one of the ways to to tap into the yeah. press and you know to harlem you know harlem is where i went to school for 10 years and where i spent a lot of time you know with my family you know connecting with community um and sometimes people come to us and ask for very specialized items like chebujan yeah. or uh, wachi wachi and shito yeah. <laughs> right some of my favorite things and so i have to send them to my friends you know um in harlem and uh, and uh, many of you know many of them are aware of them but um and what we've also tried to do before now for some of our private events is to um you know uh, harness the power of of the network by bringing in um you know catered items from these different businesses in Harlem oh, to Roosevelt cool. Island and so it's allowed um you know for naming ceremonies and things like that so that's been it was very, it's always very fun for us to do that and partner with um you know food businesses in Harlem and some people come in and they say oh I want you know I want a bespoke piece so I'll send them to a tailor in the 116th Street market that I've yeah. known for 20 years <laughs> so you know my hope is that um Harlem still maintains its um you know reputation as being you know home um because it's been home for us um but we just uh we're looking to add I guess one one point along the way yeah, I, I, yeah, for sure. I think that it would be great to have a few more like little hubs of African sure. <laughs> throughout the, you know, I don't know if I would even say one in every borough maybe might be nice. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So as we're getting close to wrapping up here, um, what for you is um, the thing you want people to take from experiencing? So I guess the value, the biggest, greatest value you want um, people to take from experiencing your food and and everything else that you have to offer. Well, yeah, we you know we really like um, the feedback that comes from customers who come in and tell us that they feel good after they've eaten our food. So mm. we want you to feel good. We really want you to feel like you've added something, you know, nutritionally sound to to your, you know, your meal options for the day. Um, and um, we also want you to feel as though you have learned something about a new food tradition um, that possibly can connect with yours because we always we love to share recipes at the restaurant or at the market. Uh, we do that a lot. And so to hear how, um, you, know, you know, different types of okra and different sizes of okra or um, uh, um, goulash or things like that, um, very excites us a lot. So, um, and then just really the spirit of um, of 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 the kindred, you know. For um, in in Igbo land, there's a lot of um, our maternal kindred, our umunes, where um, I spent a lot of time uh, in New Jersey is where my maternal kindred is, and so that's mm. where um, all kinds of soup, all kinds of um, you know, bitter leaf, okazi, you name it, you know, flows in New Jersey. And so as a kid, I was going to my auntie's house or my mom's aunt's house. At in My kindred is where, I, you know, I could eat without shame anything at any time <laughs> all day. Right. And so that's really the spirit that we look to bring, um, you know, to to the neighborhood. Um, and uh, 
uh, we're hopeful that in our both of our menu choices and you know um, the other items we started to add a lot of apothecary and personal wellness items that are from our gift shop um, the state has asked us to to make sure that there are some essentials that um, you know uh, people can access when they come into the shop and so mm-hmm. you've tried to really push um, some natural natural versions of those um, like black soap and shea butter is actually how we began uh, several years ago those were the two products that we mm-hmm. launched with so having a chance to now share that um, through Neji um, has been really special so if I distill it I would say the feeling of, of kindred and uh, something mm-hmm. you know nutritionally sound and also I tell a lot of uh, visitors that I want you to get ready for your next Nigerian party so um, <laughs> I hope that uh, you know or Senegalese party uh, so uh, you know some people ask to mix like yasa with red stew I say okay but it may not be like that at the party but my goal really is for anyone also who's seeking either career or travel or to extend themselves into into our communities that they feel like they have an entry point through food, which I think would, is probably 70, 80% of, of, of that world. So, um, and so I think that, you know, for me, when I was going to Joburg, the first thing I did was to find a restaurant in the city where I could learn about the food tradition before traveling. So I'm hopeful perhaps that um, uh, the visitors who come in to see us can also feel like that helps equip them for, um, you know, a trip to the continent or, you know, uh, uh, a function in some West African community. Um, something nutritionally sound. Um, I think especially today when a lot of uh, you know, customers are working from home, they always say, okay, you know, I want to take a break and I want to, you know, make sure that I, you know, add something good to my day. Um, and then uh, an entry point into the region or diaspora cooking um, so that uh, they feel like they can either leverage you know, themselves professionally or personally, you know, in, in a West African function or country. And um, the feeling of, of kinship or that kindred spirit, I, I really um, hope that, um, you know, is something that they feel when they've left any of our establishments, but particularly at an age where um, I think through hot food, we're able to, um, to share a lot. So... Those are, the, those are the major ones. Oh, yeah, no, that's really that's really great. Um, before we we go into a rapid-fire questions, can you let people mm-hmm. know where they can find you in Astoria, your opening hours, all of that? So where, even if they want to get delivery, where they can find that, um, and sure. then on social media, website, all of that good stuff. Yeah, so uh, Neji is located at uh, 3220 uh, 34th Avenue in Astoria. Uh, we're open from 1130 to 10. Monday through Thursday, we close at nine on Fridays. So we're open very early at the Saturday market um, from uh, nine to two or eight to two. And uh, we open for dinner at Neji again from five to five to nine. Um, our gift shop Ibarri is at 26-16 23rd Avenue. And we're open Mondays, Fridays and Saturdays and uh, by appointment uh, during the week. Um, we have uh, an Instagram at uh, Neji underscore Astoria or at ebarry.nyc. Uh, our phone number is on Google. Uh, so if you have any questions, we'd love to talk. Um, <laughs> so please feel free to reach out um, and uh, stay connected. Sure. And I will include this in the show notes so people can just click, uh, click on those links um, to, to be able to Thank find you. your line. And hopefully... 
I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I can we can get back to traveling and I can be yes. back in in New York soon to to try it out. I miss yeah, I miss anytime. I miss New York. Um, yeah. Okay, so our rapid fire question, super simple, easy, <laughs> nothing embarrassing here. Um, first question is sweet or salty? Sweet. You paused on that. I was thinking about what my mother would want me to say. <laughs> Out of those who want sweet. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, dine in or take out? I don't know. With COVID, I, this is a, now a tough question to answer. But I'll say, I mean, I'll say take, you know, right now it's all takeout for most of, you know, before yeah. we can. If you have a chance to dine in, but I'd say take out, you know, sit on the floor at home, you know, yeah. invite a friend over. Eat with yeah. your hands. That's right. That's <laughs> that right. Stuff. Um, okay, so if you had to choose, um, would you want more money or more free time? Uh, more free time. Yeah, more free time, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> questioning, questioning the money, please. All right. And then uh, for this sentence to complete, um, mm-hmm. This year, I'm going to try and eat more what? Ukazi soup. Oh, is that something you <laughs> offer at Nigeria or no? Not yet, but I'd love to. It's very, very powerful for the body and uh, very, very traditional. So, um, so yeah, that's the goal. Okay, cool. Yes. And then the last question, um, your favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world that is not yours? <laughs> Oh, too many to choose from. Ah, I have to choose one, huh? Yeah. Ah, favorite. Oh, that's not a fair one. Mm, I, I don't know if I can choose. It have to be. You have to be a three-way tie between Accra, Terenga, and Ajakaji, oh. all in Harlem. I don't so, know. The, I don't know the last one. Ajakaji 116th Street, best best Chebujan, one of the best Chebujans oh, that my brother really? loves. Yeah. I need and, to uh, check it out. Like, I don't yes. think I've, I've been. Uh, so, if I could okay. plug watching Shito at, at Accra. Yeah. Yes, and then anything at, at, at Terenga. Mm-hmm. Even just the vibe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the vibe at Terenga for mm-hmm. sure. It's yes. pretty good. Cool. Well, this was great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for chatting with me, BGs. I. It was a pleasure chatting with you and learning more about your story. I learned more than I thought I had already read about, which is great. Um, and I hope that people um, get to go to Neji, try it out. It sounds fabulous to me. This is, again, one of those reasons why I miss um, living in New York or even visiting New York is all of the amazing African foods that I can find and like find a way to find home. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to create here at Neji. So good luck. I wish, I hope Thank 2021 <laughs> is much better for you than, uh, I guess for all of us really, than, than this year has been. I'm sure, you know, it's brought, it's brought its lessons and resilience and even learning about community, it sounds like with you. And I hope that mm-hmm. some of those lessons stay with us as we navigate this new year. Um, so thanks. Sure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, 
rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item13Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 